0: Welcome to another episode of Bright-Headed Publishing Patio Book Book Club. I am your host, Kelly Morgan. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Junko Geddes. Junko wrote a beautiful memoir about her life, Obasan's story, Journey in the Land of Strangers. It was wonderful to hear about her journey and how her life became a book. Welcome, the newest member to the book club, author Junko Geddes. Junko, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today and being um, a member of the book club. How are you? Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm very excited to speak with you. I had a chance to to look at your book. Now, your book is nonfiction? Yes, it is Life of My Memoir. So memoir, okay. Yes. Great. And I've got lots of questions, but before we get into that, how did you decide that you were going to publish this book? What made you decide to publish?
1: Yes, a lot of people ask me about that. Actually, that is the very beginning of my memoir, how it started. It started with my then five-year-old grandson's question, you know, and uh, my grandson was about five. We were playing cards with, you know, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the game, he looked at me and he, he said, Obajan, you came from Japan, right? You know, it was just out of blue. That question was really, you know, and it really struck me that uh, that's true. None of my daughter nor my son, of course my grandchildren, they know about my life in Japan. You know, I had a really happy, active life in Japan, and uh, I never mentioned, you know, so I decided to write my memoir for my family at the beginning. Then uh, in the middle of writing, I realized, my gosh, you know, I've gone through so much, and uh, I conquered so many obstacles. And I thought maybe my experience might help other immigrants you know women and uh, not just to immigrants women who went went through breast cancer and uh, divorce my struggle and how how i you know came out of my darkest time of my life i thought that might help other women let let you know they might think that they're not alone. There are other women here, and they're going through same or similar experience. You know, and I just wanted wanted to reach out those women who, who are going through you know similar experience. Just just uh, divorce alone. It's a huge, huge thing. And to me, I fought cancer and divorce and so many obstacles, you know. So I thought uh, maybe readers, some readers can benefit from my memoir. (laughs) It sounds like you
0: didn't really realize how much you had actually gone through until you started to really
1: think about it. Exactly. You know, writing my memoir was very, very cathartic. You know, it it really helped me. And uh, going back my past and uh, thought about things I've forgotten for ages. I had never visited that part of memory, you know. And uh, I... Went back and uh, thought about it, and uh, it really helped me a lot. It was very therapeutic.
0: It sounds like it. So, when you decided to write the memoir and get it published, did you find that that process was a little more difficult than you thought it would be?
1: I don't know if it was more difficult. I didn't. I never expected it to be. Easy, you know. So, and uh, but I, my my father published a book. his, his wartime memory, and uh, he was lucky. His, anyways, somebody helped me. Somebody was w- with him and uh, helped me, you know, to publish. Uh, I did. I did not have any anybody like that. So. It was hard, but I did my own uh, studying. I I attended the kind of a conference, authors' conference once, and uh, there I got a lot of information, and uh, from that I started to look for publisher. You know. So but the thing is you just have to, you have to do your own search. You really have to understand what you really want. That is a major beginning, you know, starting point. You have to know really what you want, what you're looking for. And in that case, I knew what I really wanted to, you know, uh, publish and uh, because I wanted to reach out worldwide really bigger world not just uh, North America you know and uh, so I wanted to publish my book through big you know well-known publishers and I chose Burns and & Noble and Amazon and uh, I self-published my you know autobiography and I was so lucky to find my self-publisher so yeah it
0: can be a it can be a, a very daunting and challenging thing to try to take your manuscript and turn it into a book um, because there is so much information out there. You're right. You really have to do your own research and really figure out what you want to do. Exactly. So tell us about your book. You said it's your memoir. And so I'm really interested to kind of
1: hear the story and and tell us about your book. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for asking. Um, my book is actually reading my memory. You know, uh, when I was very young, and uh, thing is, when I I was born, war just ended. You know, nineteen forty-four, World War Two just ended. So. Japan was in chaotic state. It wasn't a society now, you know. It, it was really, really chaotic and uh, uh, so many homeless people. You know, I I grew up seeing homeless people sitting sleeping, sleeping on the sidewalks or in the park benches, and uh, was. Like uh, my uncle, actually, my my mother's youngest uncle, he came back from the service and he just disappeared. And which was very common thing in the, in that time of, you know, in Japan, young men couldn't find any jobs and disappeared. And many committed suicide. So, my my father he was a officer at the war time. He served in Manchuria, China. And uh, well, <laughs> I really have to go back to my book. It's uh, there's a lot to cover. But uh, to make a long story short, my father right immediately after the war he was shunned from the society because he was high-ranking officer and the Japanese government prohibited officers holding any uh, public jobs you know and uh, my my father he wasn't uh, trained as a biz- businessman or a merchant or anything. He was, he was, ideal idealist. And he wanted to become a lawyer. You know, after the war, he wants So he studied the law, and he wanted to become a lawyer. So he has no business business sense and uh, training. All of a sudden, he had to look for a job and he had no idea what to find. So, and the society just wouldn't hire him. And we were a family of eight. Five children and my father's sister. So, we were eight of us. No income. And uh, we sold a big mansion that belonged to my aunts an uh, adoptive adapt, uh, father who was well-known architect, and they were very wealthy at that time. But uh, that money sold house just disappeared. You know, we, eight of us ate that money, you know, literally, and so it was very, very difficult. And watching my father struggle to keep family together and survive gave me the strength. Later one night was going through my own difficulties. You know, that really supported me. My, my father's memory was really supported me, gave me the strength. And I think uh, i no, I am ne- really not that yet. You know, I should hang on, and I should, I, you know, I should keep on going. The biggest thing my parents taught me was that no matter what, the parents, the responsibility is to live, keep on living be with the children. You know, providing them up, it's not that important. Just be with the children, physically with the children. That was the biggest thing I learned from my parents. And so I decided to be with my children and support them no matter what. When did
0: you um, migrate to the United States? Oh, yeah.
1: that, that's another story. <laughs> that, that, that is, yes. Thank you for asking. I w- graduated from high school. I had a rheumatic fever. And uh, I was studying for college exam, entry exams. And the Japanese college entry exams are so competitive, very, very difficult. So I was studying for that entry exam. Then in the midst of it, I I got rheumatic fever and uh, my heart was damaged. I had, a uh, I developed heart problems. And the doctors told my mother, if I continued studying for college, I would kill myself. So my mother was so afraid. So she had my eldest brother get rid of my all all my textbooks from my house. So I couldn't study. And uh, because I had no energy to study anyhow. So, I convulsed, convulsed. And, uh, but I, I just couldn't, I'm, I'm not the type to just lie down and, uh, you know, sleep all day long. I just couldn't do it. So, I read a newspaper, Osaka newspaper. And there was an advertisement, advertising vocational school and uh, courses offered. It was sponsored by Osaka, you know, prefecture government. So I registered myself to take those courses, particularly English-concentrated courses, English typing, English conversation, business in English, and uh, business composition, this and that. And uh, after three months course, I I was hired by the Japan's leading you know, trading company. And you come to think of it, that everything I chose was it was a top of the line, sort of uh, most sought after techniques, technology, like a typing, English typing, was very, very sought after. And English knowledge, was very sought after. So I was immediately hired by this uh, top, Japan's top company. And uh, then I wasn't uh, satisfied just working, you know. So I, I met this English conversation professor from Osaka Foreign Language University. I went to see her. And she because she taught, her, taught our class English conversation, I went to see her and asked her, is there any way I could continue my English you know, education? And she said she she was having English private English uh, group, you know, conversation group and uh, everybody spoke in English and she said would you like to join join us and so I joined the group and after the group I maybe after two three months after I joined the she said to our group you know this group English is getting better and uh, I have this uh, Canadian, Canadian student from Canada, full full bright student. Uh, He has no friends and I wanted to invite him to this group. And so both him and us will benefit from him joining. So that was my ex-husband from Canada. And he was introduced to our group. And uh, that's how I met my ex-husband.
0: Wow. So you learned, you actually, back then, you're saying after World War II and after when you were in high school, English was very sought after. So you took those classes, you met your Canadian husband, and then did you migrate to Canada
1: first and then the United States? Correct. Well, I didn't get married in Japan because his visa, a few months after we met, his visa was expiring. Although he applied for extension, he had to leave. So he left for Canada uh, immediately after his visa expired. So I followed him. And so I was married in Vancouver. Canada. So, Junko, when you when you think
0: about your book and your experiences, what are some lessons that you learned that you think would help women today, women who have gone through divorce and women who have survived cancer? What lessons do you share with us in your book?
1: Yes, uh, there's, there's several lessons I learned. Uh, through my own experience. When I met my ex-husband, I was 18. I was too young, you know, to know anything about love. And uh, I was very head uh, strong. I was really concentrating for college entrance exam. And all of a sudden that was, that goal was disappeared. So, I was really like a kite without strings. I was aimless and no experience about relationship or, you know, my high school friends who wasn't college bound, they started to date. They had boyfriends and this and that. Some even got pregnant, you know, and it's I knew nothing about relationship. And when I, heard about my ex-husband he was lonely i felt sorry for for him you know and he before he went back to canada i wanted him to be happy but he was in japan and he took my you know gesture as my love and i didn't know what i was doing i i had no idea what I was getting into, so, but now I know sympathy is not love, that's for sure. Sympathy is not love, that's one big uh, lesson. I really think when you are a teenager, date, go out and date and meet meet boys and uh, fall, fall in love. You know, I never did that and that was my biggest, biggest mistake fall in love and have fun and uh, it's okay you know it is uh, okay to fall in love sometimes you might get pregnant but (laughs) the experience of passion love is very important I never had it you know I never had that experience
0: even today you've never had that experience
1: Sort of, but uh, I was hurt. I I really, yeah, (laughs) that's another story. Well, your
0: book sounds wonderful and and I agree with you. Sympathy is not love, although it can be very easy to get the two confused, especially when you're young and you don't really understand everything. So I, I can definitely relate to that. What about the lessons that you learned with, with beating cancer?
1: What lessons can you share with us there? Well, that, that is, I had a cancer when I was, I was in Japan. My ex-husband was a professor and he had a sabbatical leave. So he was doing research in Japan and uh, my children was were very young. My son was like uh, one and a half. My daughter was just turned four or something like that. And uh, very young, my cancer was diagnosed in Japan. And uh, before I had a cancer in, in Canada, I read two books written by cancer survivors. And then I had no, I had not cancer at all, but I was just curious. So I read two books. One was written by a woman survivor, and then one was another written by a man. And uh, the book written by a man really left me strong impression about chemotherapy. This was written by a very athletic man about mid 40s he was diagnosed with cancer and at that time he weighed oh over 250 pounds you know but very athletic strong built man he went through chemotherapy he in the book he said he had no energy he was crawling on the floor Crawling to the bathroom, hugging toilet ball, and you know, vomiting, and uh, sobbing, and he lost weight so much weight. He had no strength at all. And uh, finally, luckily, he be- beat cancer. But when he beat his cancer, he was reduced to like 100- one hundred thirty-five pounds. Wow a big that, difference. Yes, at that time, when I read the book, I weighed less than 100 pounds. I was like uh, 90 pounds or something like that. And I said, wow, this man lost all, more than all of me, you know, and then that left strong impression in me about cancer chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And I thought, when I get cancer, if I get cancer, I will refuse therapies. (laughs) What do you know? I was diagnosed with cancer. And when I was going to be discharged from from the hospital, I had an interview with my surgeon. And uh, he gave me a kind of piece of paper, he said, this is your therapy, you know, the chemo and the radi- radiotherapy schedule. And it says radiotherapy, blood test. Uh, you know, this and that. And uh, I just felt chill down my back. And uh, so, you know, in Japan, it's not patients never questioned doc- doctors. Doctors was uh, just like a gods, you know. So, but I look at my doctor and said, "Doctor, I, I'm sorry to ask you this question. Is there any assurance this therapies would cure my cancer?" And uh, he was a very young doctor, and uh, he said, he "Look, at Mrs. Gales, you seem very intelligent." person. I'll be very honest with you. Frankly, no. There's no guarantee of these therapies will cure your cancer. But I am only following the standard medical procedure for the cases such as yours, you know. And when I heard his answer, I, I just felt so relieved he was so honest with me so I thanked him in that case doctor I will refuse the you know all the treatments all together and I know what I am doing exactly what I'm doing and I I'll take full responsibility of my decisions and the doctor accepted my decision I was so pleased you know he accepted my what I decided on so when I went home my husband asked so what did you what did you did the interview go and I told him what I decided you know refuse therapies and stuff he looked shocked he looked at me just as though he never seen me before you know and uh, he he was angry he was very very angry with me but uh, you know i have i told him i know what i'm doing and i will get i don't know how many days months years uh pain-free you know healthy days I have but I just wanted to be with my children they're so young and my son, if I died he wouldn't remember me and I, I didn't want them to remember me as crawling on the floor sobbing, vomiting, crying or always sick I didn't want my children to remember me you know, like that so I decided to have healthy, happy memories with my kids. That's how I decided to do. And I played with my kids. I had a good time with them. Then by the time I know, days gone by without pain or anything. Of course, I went to see my uh, doctor after I, my husband's tenure ended, and after we came back to Canada, and he came back to his teaching, I found my family doctor, and I went to, you know, regular checkup, and uh, I went all kinds of tests, you know, the um, x-ray, blood test, and except chemotherapy, you know, I told my doctor, I'm not gonna get those so I was I was safe. It was life-saving decisions. I just I realized.
0: So playing, so you actually refusing chemo and just deciding just to kind of live your life and spend your time with
1: your children yes. really is what saved your life. Probably. Because I did not dwell in my, you know. Fate, you know, I didn't feel sorry for myself or anything. I, I never thought about cancer at all. I threw away, you know, that thought, and I just decided to concentrate on my children, having good time with them. So I played street hockey with my son and his neighborhood friends. They came knock on the door. I know, and uh, they asked me to play goalie because nobody wanted to play goalie. So I wrapped my cardboard uh, paper wrapped around my shins and taped it, and uh, I played goalie until the, my kids shots got too hard and my shins are getting black and blue. I I couldn't take that anymore. So I said, no, I'm sorry. I can't do it anymore. You know, but uh, they're getting, you know. uh, But if you would have had the chemo, you wouldn't
0: have been able to play goalie. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess the lesson was, is that you just decided not to accept the cancer diagnosis and just go spend that time with your children. Right. And actually play with them. And you made probably some fantastic
1: memories, I'm sure. Oh, I have so many good memories with my children. Sure, you know, and uh, I was glad I was able to be with them. When they are the young, you know, my son told me, came home I quit school you know I said what happened he was in the kindergarten he was like four and he was so so full of emotion and a little child you know when he was very upset couldn't explain explain himself you know and he was breathing hard his nostrils you know "Oh, oh wide open, breathing hard, Uh, he couldn't tell me, you know, and I was glad I was there, you know. Next day, I took him to went to school with with him and uh, spoke with the principal. My son refuses to go to school, I just would would like to find out why, and uh, you know. I found out why. It was such a little thing. My son is a very, very proud boy. When he was very young, very proud, even now, you know. Anyways, apparently, he spilled something, juice or something during the, you know, slack time. And he was so, so embarrassed. He was so embarrassed. And he couldn't go to school next day. Little child, you know, little thing is huge it's way way so huge and he's and uh, when i went back to his classroom with uh, vice president principal and the kids saw my son and oh carl is here come on carl let's play and he, my son said oh, oh and he worked walked, walked in the class and then uh, he started to play and the uh, vice president Principal asked the homeroom teacher, well, "What happened?" And the teacher teacher had no idea. And uh, is anything happened yesterday? And she said, yeah. "One thing I can remember is how to spill juice on the table, and it spilled on the floor. You know, so I went, you know, wipe the floor and the table and stuff." And Karl felt so guilty, embarrassed. And I said, oh my goodness. And then coming back home, I was so, so I thankful I was with him. You know, there are so many incidents like that. Many, many times as I was glad I was with my children.
0: It sounds like you made the right decision. I'm so glad that you were able to um, come on the podcast and share the book. Tell
1: us again what the name of the book is. It's Obaachan's story. Obachan means grandmother in Japanese. And, and where is it available? Uh, Amazon, Barnes and & Noble. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you query my name, Junko, gathers my books would appear, come up. I don't know how many, many, many links now. It's been so, sold in Europe and uh, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, Asia, and uh, Ingl- England. All over, you know, it's, but it's not selling that much. But, uh, you know, it's out there. Well, congratulations
0: that it is selling all over the world. It is worldwide. And that's that's a feat in itself. You know, when you self-publish it, it can be very challenging to market the book and get it out there. Um, you know, that can be the that can be the toughest part of of self-publishing and being an author. Which is why, you know, we have the podcast. So hopefully, you know, the podcast will be able to help you sell books as well I'm so happy that you came on to the podcast I will make sure that the links are available in the podcast description so that when people go to find the book they will be able to find it is this your only book Junko
1: do you think you oh, yes. are it, going to it, you're it, gonna, it, are you... well I am thinking of writing something else but I haven't really started yet but I have an idea I have a this uh, dream of writing, you know, and uh, so who knows? <laughs> well, if you decide that that
0: second book is going to actually manifest into a book, you'll definitely have to come back on the podcast and tell us about it. Thank you thank so you. much for being. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bright Headed Publishing Patio Book Book Club. I have been your host, Kelly Morgan. We just wrapped up with Junko Geddes and her memoir, O'Basham's Story, Journey in the Land of Strangers. So wonderful memoir. It's available on Amazon. If you are interested in becoming a member of the book club and being on the podcast, email me at brightheadedpublishing.com at gmail.com. I'm also on social media Instagram, BHPLCC, and on Facebook, Brightheaded Publishing and PHB Patio Book Book Club. I'm also on LinkedIn, Brightheaded Publishing. Feel free to reach out if you are interested. Also, if you support authors, like you're an editor or an illustrator, we want you to. Thank you again for listening to another episode. Until next time, keep writing.